So by way of introduction, my name is Rob. I am the lead pastor here at Citizens Church. So thank you for being here this morning. We are continuing to go through Mark. We've been going through it one chapter at a time, one passage at a time. And we've been in Mark chapter 12 for the last several weeks. It's a long chapter, and this is the second to last passage that we will be in for Mark chapter 12. So if you would, turn there, Mark 12. And if you, if you have a Bible and you're not totally sure where that is, it's about three-fourths of the way through. And you'll see in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. We're going to be in Mark. Big numbers are the chapters, little numbers are the verses, and we are in starting in verse 38, which Maggie just read. So thank you, Maggie, for that. Um, question this morning, what is hypocrisy? When I ask that question, there's probably definitions that come to mind, maybe people that come to mind. Oxford defines hypocrisy as the practice of claiming to have moral standards or beliefs to which one's own behavior does not conform. So claiming to be something, but then acting out in a way that is contrary to that claim. We hate this. We despise hypocrisy. It's not exactly something that you put on your resume when submitting for a job. Hey, I'm a hard worker, I'm on time, great team player, and I'm a hypocrite. So please, hire me. I work in recruiting, I have not seen that one time. We hate hypocrisy. Our heroes don't tend to be hypocrites. It's not a trait that we tend to strive for. So why, why do we hate hypocrisy? Why is that something that drives us nuts? Why do we especially hate religious hypocrisy? Maggie just read that passage. We see a lot of religious hypocrisy in that passage. Now, we've seen religious leaders fall, and as a society, Christians and non-Christians both hate hypocrisy. And then when we see a religious leader fall, we see articles written about it, we see podcasts produced, about it. It tends to make a larger splash when a religious leader falls than when an executive or a doctor or a chef falls. Because there tends to be this common understanding that if you are a religious leader, if you're trying to point people to a knowledge of the truth, trying to point people to the God of truth, and yet you live in a contradictory way than what you're teaching is, that's especially heinous. We all seem to have an understanding of that, Christian and non-Christian. Why is that? Well, I submit to you, it's because we're made in the image of God, and God being truth, we strongly dislike anything that is contrary to the truth. But even more so, we see in this passage, that God despises religious hypocrisy. God is against any form of sin, but there seems to be, as that passage ended, a greater condemnation for religious hypocrites. So what I submit to you this morning 
as we look at this passage, these three verses. Again, last week we kind of joked about how three verses is not a lot to work with. Made it happen. Praise God. This week we got three verses again. So we are going to look at that again. And as we look at these three verses, submit to you that hypocritical righteousness. We just talked about religious leaders, religious hypocrisy. Hypocritical righteousness leads to greater condemnation. Hypocritical righteousness leads to greater condemnation. It's the main thrust of our passage this morning. As we look at it, we'll be able to identify what religious hypocrisy is. We'll also be able to help one another guard against it. So we look at this passage, we'll be able to identify what is religious hypocrisy. We all despise it. And how can we guard against it? So we've been seeing throughout the book of Mark how God is restoring his wayward people. We've seen in passage after passage how we, in fact, are wayward people. And God has kindly provided a way for us to be restored back to him through Christ. Through his person, the righteousness that he provides, and his work in taking away our sin. And now, in chapter 12, we are continuing this march toward the cross. Jesus is toward the end of his earthly ministry here. And chapter 12, we see a lot of what's happening on Wednesday of Holy Week. Holy Week is that final week leading up to Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. So this is Wednesday of Holy Week. And be reminded that on Friday is when he's going to go to the cross. So he's only a couple days out. And at the beginning of this day, we saw the, the withered fig tree, fig tree representing the nation of Israel and the temple practices that were going on there. We see this withered fig tree. We see Jesus questioned multiple times by the Sanhedrin, wave after wave after wave of question. And he answers each one in a satisfactory way. And be reminded that the Sanhedrin is a group of 70 religious leaders plus the high priest. So as he talks about hypocritical religious leaders, that is right there in the context of the Sanhedrin who continuously sent people his way to try to get him to slip up. And then we saw Jesus on this Wednesday of Holy Week teach about what the great commandment is, to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And then last week we saw Jesus, after receiving all of these questions from the Sanhedrin, he then stumps them with just one question. He asks one question. That's all it takes to point out their insufficiency. And so now, this week, with the way the passage ended last week, the phrase was, and the great throng heard him gladly. That's how the last verse last week ended. And so now, with their glad attention, Jesus capitalizes on it. And we see him now teach and warn them about the scribes, the experts of the law. So with that long introduction, we see two warnings that Jesus gives. The first one is beware of the scribes. Essentially, look out. These people who just tried to test me, beware of them. And then he gives a shorter warning. That first one will be the majority of where we spend our time this morning. But then he gives a shorter one of the fate of the scribes. So be aware. Look out and be aware. We see, beware of the scribes, and we see the fate of the scribes. So as we get ready to dig into those two warnings, let's pray, and then we can pick up in verse 38. Father, thank you 
for allowing us to gather. Lord, as we affirm that your word is what we need to understand for faithful practice, for faithful understanding of who you are, we need an understanding of you to enjoy you and to be satisfied by you, ultimately to be saved from our sin. God, we ask as we come to you this morning looking at your word that you would help us understand. That you would help me speak clearly. And that you would soften hearts. That you would prepare the ground, prepare the soil so that as the gospel is sown that it would fall on fertile soil. God, we pray that you would Lead us as we look at these three verses. We pray for Cornerstone Community Church just up the road. Thank you for them, partners in the gospel. Pray that you would allow them to see fruit and that the gospel would shape the followers of Jesus in that congregation. Pray the same thing for Summit Baptist Church, our sending church. Thank you for them. Thank you for their faithfulness. Thank you for their prayers. We pray that you would bless them with more of yourself. We pray also for Scarlet City Church. Thank you for Jay O'Brien, the lead pastor there, who served faithfully on our advisory team here at Citizens. Lord, his wisdom has blessed us. God, we pray that you would bless their church. Thank you for these brothers and these other congregations that are proclaiming the same gospel that we get to sit and proclaim this morning. We ask that you would bring fruit here and that you'd bring fruit throughout the city and throughout the world as your people gather. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so we see that Jesus' first warning. It says, beware of the scribes. If you look at verse 38, it says, and in his teaching. So we see Jesus yet again teaching. We've seen throughout this book, Jesus is always teaching. His ministry is full of it. Throughout the book of Mark, his teaching is explicitly referenced 37 times. Not to mention the implicit times when the word teach or taught is not actually used. Jesus is always, always teaching. We as a church want to be theologically rich. We want to look at Jesus' teaching and we want to rightly understand it. Not so that we can be puffed up or not so that we can have a, a know all the answers, but so that we can know God better. We recognize that the reason Jesus was teaching is because people didn't understand who God was. And he was trying to clarify who God is, what his plan for salvation and for redemption is. So we see Jesus yet again teaching. We said last week that true teaching exposes false teaching. And Jesus right now, as he is teaching, is exposing the false teaching of the scribes. He's exposing their false righteousness. And so the bulk of this passage is based on the scribes and their false righteousness. And so the question that we have to ask ourselves is, what, what is it that's wrong with the scribes? What is the issue that Jesus sees with the scribes? There's at least two things. The first one is pride. They are a proud people. Now, now their pride shows up in at least four different ways as we look at this passage. So the first one is that they have a desire to be seen. See in verse 38 that they like to walk around in long robes. So these robes were worn 
in that context by the well-educated to signify their status. It would be like a PhD student. For those of you who have been at graduations, you've seen PhD students wearing their long robes and they've got all the marks on the arms and they've got different tassels and it would be like a PhD student walking around in their robes every day of the week so that people would know they're a doctor. It'd be like an Ohio State football player coming in throughout the week and not just letting people know he's a football player for Ohio State, but being in full uniform, padded up, helmet on, everywhere he goes, he's letting everybody know that he plays for the Buckeyes. These scribes wanted to be seen by others, but it wasn't enough for them just to be seen. They also wanted to be acknowledged. So you see, they liked greetings in the marketplace. So they not only wanted people to see them, but they wanted people to verbally affirm that they see them. But even that was not enough. So they wanted to be seen, they wanted to be acknowledged, but they also had a desire to be admired. They desired the, or they got the best seats in the synagogues. Now the synagogues, it was similar in that people would sit and they would hear teaching, but the best seats in the synagogues were on a bench at the front, right in front of the uh, container that held the scrolls of Scripture. And so as one of the teachers would teach, there would be a bench of scribes that would sit right in front of the scrolls that are put in this container, signifying not only their value, but also signifying their status. So they wanted to be seen, they wanted to be acknowledged, they wanted to be admired. They wanted to sit up front in the religious setting so that everybody could see them. But even that wasn't enough. They wanted more. So we see that they also wanted, or they had a desire to be prioritized. They had a desire to be seen, a desire to be acknowledged, a desire to be admired, and a desire to be prioritized. See, they had the places of honor at feasts. Now, these places of honor at feast were either at the right or left hand of the host, or at the very least, at the host's table, where you'd get the best food, where you'd have the best company. People of the highest value in society would be at this table. The scribes wanted not only to be seen and acknowledged and admired, but they wanted to be prioritized by others. So we see these scribes, have at least two things that Jesus is pointing out. The first one is pride. Their pride is exposed in those four different ways. The second one is that they're hypocrites. So we see that they pretend to be religious for their own gain. They pretend to care for others for their own gain. Look in verse 40. These scribes devour widows' houses, and for a pretense, make long prayers. So what does it mean that they devour widows' houses? Does it mean that these houses are edible, and that the scribes, when they get an appetite, get to go over to the house and start sticking a fork in it? No. But these scribes, you have to understand that the scribes were not allowed to take payment for what they were doing. So they lived on side jobs and on donations. So some of the most vulnerable in this patriarchal society were widows who lost their husband, who lost their source of income, who lost their source of provision. These widows 
are especially vulnerable and where the religious leaders should have been taking care of the widows, we now see them taking advantage of the widows. So the scribes would oftentimes try to befriend widows and try to convince them to leave them some of their inheritance that they received from their deceased husband. Give it to the temple. Give it to the scribes. These scribes would try to take advantage of widows. And then also, for a pretense, they would make long prayers. So not only would they pretend to care for widows for the sake of gaining themselves, but they would also pretend to care for others. Hey, brother, sister, you need prayer? Oh, I'll, I'll pray for you. I'll, I'll pray a long prayer for you. Just give me a little bit of money. Let me take this and I will pray for you. God hears my prayers. You want me to pray for you. These scribes would take advantage of the hurting for their own greed. They pretended to care so they could gain themselves. So not only were they proud, they desired to be seen, acknowledged, admired, and prioritized, but they were also hypocritical. The religious leaders who were supposed to care for God's people were taking advantage of God's people, all under the guise of religiosity. And so previously, we had just heard Jesus talk about the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And now Jesus points out these scribes who claimed to love God the most, but in fact love themselves the most while trying to put on an image of religion. So this morning, so we see Jesus continuing his teaching ministry. You see Jesus referenced time and time again that he was teaching. Are you learning from Jesus? Jesus is the Word incarnate. Jesus is the the very image of God in the flesh. We must go to Jesus. Every person that Jesus had a relationship with, he was teaching. If you are in Christ, are you learning from Jesus? Are you going to the Word? I have a relationship with my wife, Danielle. I wake up in the morning, and when she gets up a little bit after, I say, hey, how'd you sleep? And then, Shortly after, as we continue to talk, say, hey, what do you got going on today? And then as I go off to work and start to do my stuff, I reach out to her in the middle of the day. Hey, how's your day going? Then I get home. Hey, how were the girls for you? Oh, they were really difficult? Okay, I'm sorry about that. How can I help? (laughs) I want to know about her. I'm asking questions about her because I have a relationship with her. If we have a relationship with Christ, we should be coming to him and hearing from him. Jesus' ministry to his people is a teaching ministry. And his people have an obligation to learn from him and to teach of him to others. The great commandment we just talked about, now we reference the great commission in Matthew 28. It says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus says, you, the way you go make, in, go make disciples is by teaching them 
all that I have commanded you. The way you grow as a disciple is by understanding my teaching and living in a way that reflects that. Jesus' ministry is a teaching ministry. And we must not do this on an island. That's why we gather on Sundays. Because we need to be reminded of the gospel. We need to be encouraged to continue to pursue Christ. We, as, the, as followers of Jesus, are brought into a body. When you are adopted into the body of Christ, you're, the, whatever portion of the body you are, you're not going to survive if you're amputated and off on your own. Proverbs 18 says, Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Followers of Jesus seek to understand what Jesus taught, and they don't do that alone. If you're not already gathering with somebody in this congregation for coffee or for going on a walk or for grabbing lunch, I would encourage you, don't let don't leave this morning without making an appointment with somebody, scheduling something with somebody just to connect with them and to help learn about Jesus together. And when you, when you do come together, there are three simple questions you can ask. And it doesn't have to be verbatim, word for word, these three questions. But in some way, weave these in. Ask, what are you reading? Where are you in your reading? Are, are you reading along with Mark? Great. Praise God. You're reading James? You're reading Ezekiel? Okay, great. What are you reading? Second question, what is God teaching you? We don't just read for the sake of reading. We don't want to be brains on a stick. What's God teaching you? How is what you're reading affecting the way that you live? And the third thing is, how can I pray for you? Because we want to do this together. We believe in the power of prayer. What are you reading? What's God teaching you? How can I pray for you? Simple ways. It's not rocket science. Simple ways. Gather, get coffee while you're sipping on a cappuccino. Just ask these three questions. And then regarding the scribes, can you relate to their pride? This morning, so we see the scribes having their desire to be seen, to be acknowledged, to be admired, and to be prioritized. Do you oftentimes feel that building up? Ah, I'm not seen not acknowledged or not admired or prioritized the way that I should be. And when that does rise up, because we're all fallen, probably happens to all of us at some point throughout the week, but when it does, how do you respond? Do you begin to whisper? Does your frustration build? Or is the joy of serving your Savior sufficient? Is that enough, regardless of who sees? Maybe maybe it's not the scribe's pride. Maybe it's their hypocrisy. Can you relate to their hypocrisy? Pretending to be religious for your own gain? It may not be financial like it was for the scribes, but maybe it's for your own comfort. I feel good that I'm attending church. I feel good that I read my Bible today feel good that I prayed? Are you doing it for your own sake or are you doing it for Christ's sake? And don't get me wrong, 
there is a aspect of pursuing Christ for your own sake. Because as you pursue the greatest thing in the universe, it will benefit you. You will find greater satisfaction. You will find greater joy in his presence. But are you doing it just for yourself? Or are you doing it to have more of God? If you're doing it just for yourself, you're going to hit a ceiling every time. Are you pretending to care so you look good to others? Are you pretending to care for others, to pray for others, to be in the lives of others just so you look good to them? Or is it genuinely for their sake? If you're here this morning and maybe you're not a follower of Jesus, maybe you're not a Christian, first off, thank you for being here. hope you continue to feel welcome and continue to come back. But I ask you, why are you here this morning? Is it to feel good about the act of going to church, like I mentioned earlier? Is it to be seen by God? Oh, God sees me here. He's going to be happy with me. Others see me here. I can get them off my back. They've been asking me to get here. Like, what, what's the reason that you're here this morning? would encourage you, don't play that game with one another. Don't play that game with God. Isaiah 55, 6-7 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked man forsake his own way and the unrighteous man his own thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion and to our God for he will freely pardon. Don't come here today to satisfy somebody else in this room. Don't come here today to check it off your list so that you can feel better about your relationship with God. Come here, gather with God's people because you love your Savior, because you love the body that you've been adopted into. And church, we must pursue theological depth, our value, theological direction. We must pursue that, but not to be impressive. We must pursue it to know God, to know Him better, and to help others follow King Jesus. We want to be a compelling community. We want people to enter into this space and think, wow, they love God. They love talking with Him. They love hearing from Him in His Word. These people love, love God. Let that be what people know us for, not being brains on a stick. We want to know the scriptures, but it can't just be for knowledge's sake. It's got to be for transformation's sake. It's got to be for Christ's sake. And so Jesus warns of this religious hypocrisy that is found in the scribes. And so now he shares the fate of those who practice religious hypocrisy. Look with me in verse 40. Verse 40. It's the second part of that, the last sentence. They will receive the greater condemnation. So we just read about the great commandment. Jesus just finished teaching all of the crowd and all of the religious leaders that the greatest commandment is to love God most. And now he points out the hypocritical scribes who claim to love God most, but who really love themselves most. And he points out their condemnation. Now, anyone who does not fulfill the great commandment 
to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength is going to face condemnation. And spoiler alert, we've all failed at that. And so we are all headed towards condemnation. However, Romans 8.1, for those who are in Christ, there is therefore now no condemnation. That condemnation is taken away. But we read not just about condemnation and the great commandment, but now we read about the greater condemnation. Jesus taught about the great commandment, and now he teaches about the great condemnation reserved for those who hypocritically lie about fulfilling the great commandment. Jesus taught about loving the Lord most, undivided devotion, and now he says those who claim to be doing that and claim to be teaching about that, but in fact are falling short of that, there is reserved greater condemnation for them. So just as there are decrees of reward in heaven, there are also degrees of condemnation and punishment in hell. James 3.1 talks about this, and this, this verse right here is one that weighs heavy with, with me and should weigh heavy with anybody who does any form of consistent teaching. James writes, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. I will be judged with greater strictness. That's why I have to spend time understanding what the text says. Because if I lead astray, I will be faced, or I will face greater strictness. It's not a greater standard. We're all held to the same standard, perfection. We've all fallen short of that. But there's greater strictness with teachers as to how they are judged. James Edwards writing about this, says that religious pride and injury of others in the name of religion will be given abundant judgment, judgment upon judgment. So Christian, you will fall. You do fall short of the great commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love one another as yourselves. You fall short of that. We all do. But if you are in Christ, your condemnation is taken away. Again, Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you are in him, Christ Jesus was not condemned. He lived a perfect life. If you are in him, the one who lived a perfect life, then you too will not face condemnation. That's the good news. But if you're not in Christ, you're here this morning and that's not you your condemnation is coming your judgment is coming and let that be an encouragement to turn from your sin we read in Isaiah let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion God is ready to show you compassion for he will freely pardon if you are here this morning and you're not in Christ and you hear me say your punishment your condemnation is sure let that not be just something to feel bad about. But let that be something that spurs you on to return to God, who is ready and willing to show you compassion, and is ready and willing to freely forgive you if you would come to him and confess your sin. And so church, we as a people, as we look at these false scribes, we look at these scribes who are false teachers, we must be aware of false teachers. 
false teachers have a greater platform today than ever before in the history of the church. The internet does a great job with that. YouTube does a great job with that. Instagram, Facebook, short clips. We must be aware of false teachers. And the best way to know who is a false teacher compared to who is a true teacher is by understanding what the Word of God says. Yes, hear what I'm saying. Yes, trust your pastor. But ultimately, test what I'm saying against the Scriptures. Don't follow me blindly. Follow me insofar as I follow Christ. Follow what I say from the pulpit insofar as it's consistent with what the Scriptures say. Because hypocritical righteousness will lead to greater condemnation. Hypocritical righteousness will lead to greater condemnation. Jesus just silenced the scribes, and now not only does he silence them, but he points out to everybody their condemnation. And so we must pursue righteousness not out of the love for self, but out of the love for God. Not out of the love of others' opinion of us out of a love for Christ. We pursue righteousness out of an overflow of our love for Him. So the way to avoid religious hypocrisy, these scribes, the way to avoid that is to know what true religion is. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. You cannot do that if you do not know what God's Word says, and you are not called to pursue God and understand what His Word says on an island. We need to do that together. The appearance of righteousness cannot and will not save you. However, there is a true righteousness that has come. We need a true right righteousness. We need an outside righteousness. We need a perfect righteousness. We need a true teacher, not a hypocritical one. And that true teacher has come in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And he has provided the perfect righteousness that we need. He has taken away our condemnation if we would call on him as Lord and as Savior, and we would submit to him as Master. Calling him Lord is calling him Master. And if he's your Master, then you will submit to what he says. We, as a people, must recognize that the true teacher has come. And he has provided the righteousness and the true teaching that we need. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for this passage for warning us against religious hypocrisy. Help us be a people that pursue true religion, that pursue Christ. Help us be a people that turn away from our sin. Lord, if there is religious hypocrisy among us, Lord, show us that so that we may repent and help us to be reminded of the good news that you are a compassionate God, ready to forgive, ready to freely pardon. Help us turn to the true teacher this morning. As we go throughout this week, help us be reminded of the true teacher. 
We pray this in his name. Amen.